This sermon was preached on Sunday, November 27th by Josh Walton. So, from Genesis 2, after God creates everything, and then he creates humanity on day 6, you might remember this, now the climax of his creative creation, Genesis 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So in the beginning, God created rest. And then in the next chapter, after a failure to trust their creator, with their desires, in Genesis 3, starting in verse 17, we read this. To Adam, God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat it, or eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So we have the introduction of toil. Work already existed, it was good, but now it's toil and struggle. But here the promise of God in the midst of all of this unrest from the other end of the Bible in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the word of the Lord. 
God, we see that you created us for peace and for rest. And we see that in the end, you will restore it completely to us. In the meantime, in this in-between time, God, speak to us. Be with us that we may know your presence through your words and your spirit. Amen. Thanks, Andy. You know what stressed me out this week? Or was it last week? Have you heard of this fellow, Elon Musk? Is that a name? And I noticed he, he bought a company, and it all went crazy. I don't know. I'm no business guy. But it seemed a little problematic in some ways. I have worked at jobs before, and I remember feeling like I put in a lot of effort and not a lot of return. And then I see this fellow say, you know what, let's fire some of you. And then on November 16th, he says, you've got a day to decide if you're all in. And by all in, I think, well, I think explicitly he meant if you're ready to put in 80-hour weeks. Because this is time to be hardcore, he said. People didn't really like that. A bunch of people left, but some stayed. He said, going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. There's like all kinds of red flags. <laughs> all kinds of red flags. I remember when I was apprenticing for this, and, and my director said to us, he said, hey, you've got to be really careful. If you ever go in for an interview, you've got to ask how many hours are expected and what they tell you will be bare minimum. That number is absolute bare minimum. And for sure, there's going to be hours creep because it'll be way more. So if they start out at 55 hours, run. Do not take that job. And so when I'm reading all this Twitter stuff, I'm like, this is not for me. I am not, I am not going to be employed in the Twitterverse, I'll tell you that much. And the big, my biggest takeaway is I thought, I am so glad that Elon Musk is not God. <laughs> now, I know there are business strategies for what, even if his execution was poor, by taking people who are really motivated for a common vision, and hey, are you in with me, and let's do this. You could still work 16-hour days, and have a weekend, and have your 80 hours. So there's a way to do it for a time, but in general, it's just kind of sickening. And here is why we had Andy read that creation text. Because the rhythm to Genesis 1 is that God creates, and then he steps back at the end of the day, come sunset, and he delights in it. He says, this is good. It is very good. That's what he does. He creates, he steps back, he delights. And then the climax is not the creation of humanity, as Andy mentioned. The climax is this creation of rest. It said he blessed it and made it whole. He set it aside as a day of rest. So the benefit for humanity is not that our first task is it as a Twitter worker or any worker. The first task of humanity 
is to just show up and be in the garden and be with God and with one another. That is the basis from which all of this other good work comes from. Because work is not bad. Some work is bad. I'll give you that. Some work is toil. But it's not all bad. Production, utility, usefulness, these are all good things. We want to be those things, but that cannot be the basis. Or you will be run ragged, either yourself and your high expectations, or somebody else will be happy to use you until you're spent. Is that true? (laughs) Thanks, Daniel. You got an amen there. They will use you. And here, when we get this, this real social catastrophe with the first couple going their own way and not trusting God with their own desires, and then you see that this is the consequence, it's going to be hard. And if it was just, if it was just weedy gardening, that's one thing. But by the end of Genesis, as we've talked about throughout this series, You've got a people who does not even know God's name, and they're generational slaves in Egypt. Slaves. And their value as slaves is reduced to their utility, to their worker. Have you thought about that? I didn't really think about the economic, the macroeconomics of this whole thing with Egypt and Israel. But somebody else, this this man named Brueggemann is his last name, And he wrote a book called Sabbath is Resistance. We went through it as staff a couple years ago. He says this. Into this system of hopeless weariness erupts the God of the burning bush. This is the God who encounters Moses. That God heard the despairing fatigue of the slaves. Think about it. I hadn't thought about the slavery in those terms. Despairing fatigue Do you know what it feels like just to work a normal job and just feel like it's pointless, but you can't do anything else? Got golden handcuffs, you've got health care, but oh, this is benefits, all this, but it just feels so pointless. This is weariness, despairing fatigue. But that God is resolved to liberate this slave company of Israel from that exploitative system, and he recruits Moses for the human task of emancipation, And the reason Miriam and the other woman can sing and dance at the end of the Exodus narrative is the emergence of this new social reality in which the life of the Israelite economy is no longer determined and compelled by the insatiable production quotas of Egypt and its gods. And Amazon.com, who am I throwing there? Do you see this? This economic reality that Pharaoh, who is seen as a god, who's the ruler, he wants to keep building new grain houses, stores of wealth in that day. And he uses the Israelites to make the bricks. And things get feistier and feistier as he goes. By Exodus 5, he says, you know what? Double production with half the resources. That sounded like Elon Musk. That sounded like many companies we've worked for. Even companies we've invested stock in. This is not 
the life of rescue. This is a life of bondage, of reducing humanity to usefulness for somebody else. And that's not it. And that's why we have a God who engages with the people, who hears the despair and calls them out and says, here is something new. And before there's these list of ten words and ten things, ten commandments, he says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, to relate before there's requirements, before there's tasks, before there's duties, before there's the law of love that comes out of it. It's born in that relationship which harkens back to Genesis 1 and 2. This is the source. This is the epicenter of all that's good. It is the place where things make sense, where things fit together. That's what I want. I've been totally stressed out all week preparing for this sermon. What I mean is I like procrastinated like four days straight, like easily. And then I feel really bad about it up until this very moment. Let us, let us hear the words in, in Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, roping it off, setting it apart. Six days you shall labor, do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, maidservant, nor your animals, nor the foreigner within your gates. And here this, it's a throwback, it's a call back to Genesis. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the Lord's work. If you're here way back, you know, six weeks ago when we talked about this first, it was on Thanksgiving, so some of us didn't have an extended sort of discussion time about this. Others did. But this Sabbath commandment, the Sabbath word, this word is to have rest, is a connector between the first three, which are very and solely focused on God. Worship the Lord your God, no one else, no idols, bear his name well. And then there's this shift to the Sabbath, which includes God and his creative act roping off a day. Be like me, he says, but it includes other people, neighborliness. This is the test of trust. This is. This is the practical test of whether you can trust God, whether you can worship God with everything else and nothing else and no one else. Whether you must seek the source of your needs elsewhere. This is a test. Listen, this is like some of these notes are from a decade ago and I don't have references. So somebody else said this. In the Babylonian, sorry, Sabbath is a unique holiday for a distinctive deity who defines the divine human relationship by rest, not by work. In the Babylonian creation myth, those parallel creation stories in the ancient Near East, the gods Marduk and E create human beings to do the gods' grunt work. This is prevalent. But in Israel's sacred story, humans are created to rule the earth, not as slaves 
to do the God's tedious labor, but as kings and queens stamped with the image of God, with the royal image, humanity is stamped. And later God creates Israel by liberating them from forced labor, canceling their debt, buying their freedom from slavery, and restoring their household property. And within all of that, of God recreating, creating and recreating, work comes out of that, not preceding it. Hey, this is hard stuff. You know, I've done this topic as like a conversation thing, again, maybe seven, eight years ago. Dominantly non-Christians came to it. It was kind of a kickoff thing, and this is, we were doing the top ten New Year's resolutions of all time, and this is one of them. And I was very surprised, because almost zero people in this group were Christian, but I said on one of the comment cards, I said, uh, discussion cards, I said, would it be better if everyone had the same day off? And you know what? They all, they all said yes. All of them. All of them said, yes, it was, life was better when there was a common day off. That was very interesting to me. Now, it might have to do that they're upper middle class, mostly white people, right? Retirees, so they've got tons of time. Maybe they forgot what it's like to, to scrap in the younger years when you feel like you didn't have those hours or day, a whole day. Maybe. But isn't it a little bit like this, though, when it comes to rest? Like, we want it, but we kind of don't. Because I also hear people go, oh, I wish I could fit eight days into seven. If I just had an extra day. You know if you had an extra day, you would just fill it. You know that, right? Because you do have seven. You could have six, but you have seven, and you filled the seventh. Do you see what I mean? This is not just an external thing. There's a voraciousness. There is an anxiety. There are desires that we have. And they stretch beyond our working hours. And they stretch into our rest and they steal it. We steal rest from ourselves with this give and take, don't we? I do. That said... If you did start a new religion and said, rule number one in this new religion, everyone has to take a day off every week, I feel like people would line up at the doors. This is good news. This is good news. And look at this. This is Jewish commandment number four of the top ten. Thou shalt not murder comes after it. This is so core and essential to what it means to be human and to function well. Look, look, I even started talking about function again, as if it's all utilitarian. Sabbath involves others and involves purposes, which affects the range of activities during the Sabbath, right? Because you know that. You know when you finally get to your day off, and you lay on your couch for literally 14 hours watching Netflix. Like, you know, okay, I know that. Maybe you have other sins. And then you go, 
okay, there was a rest. My body rested. Kind of my mind, at least, wasn't busy working in circles with whatever project or planning I had. So there was sort of an evasiveness. But was it true rest? I often come out of those Saturdays as still pretty weary because there's something more than just what we do with our bodies. Isn't it? It's more, just, it's more than just the absence of work. It has to be. And the Jewish view was expansive. So the rabbis, which were the teachers, they eventually ended up with 1,521 things you could not do on a Sabbath, including slapping your hips. I don't know. Maybe that's a reference to dancing. I'm not sure. Getting engaged. Like, why do you have to do that on a Sabbath? There's six other days. Writing two or more letters in sequence. Hunting gazelle. No baking quiche. No tying anything, which is why I'm so glad Velcro was invented. And slippers. No lighting or putting out fires. Because that was the main way of making meals. So what's their deal? Are they control freaks? Maybe. But they also wanted to safeguard and preserve the purpose of the Sabbath. And the purposes were this, celebration and rest. In six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So whatever you think about the creation story, you've got to admit God is not type A who doesn't know how to take a break. And if this pattern of work and rest reflects God's own behavior, then according to a Jew, this is how we're going to work best. According to these ten words, this is how we will function best. And actually, as you know, humanity gets the better deal in this story because the first thing after creation is rest. But it's not just about human function. You're not alone in this rest, in this Sabbath. Remember, this is not an individual moral moral ethical code, these ten words. This is baseline for civilization. You get the don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie under oath. It's baseline. This is also social protection. You're not alone, and you're with your creator. This is, if this is the baseline, then focusing on God's creative and redemptive works are the source and the soil for good things to grow. And that's different when it's the start rather than the end of a week. Do you see that? It works, it, it just changes how I approach it. Uh, here, let's, I'm going to read from the Deuteronomy section. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, he says, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He has revealed himself as a rescuer. So now you can rest in the confidence that God bears the heavy weight and the heavy work. I know where you're going to go, because I know where I go. And it's usually not spoken out loud, but it's buried in my behavior. But what about dot, 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 dot? 
Who's going to fill in the blank? The mind races. What are all these tasks that are going to get done? No, rest, because God bears that heavy weight. And he extends it. The purpose of rest is not just yourself. It's also your employees and your animals. One version of this talk I've given is get off your ass and give it a break. As in Ursus Asinus, the common name for the donkey. This is a social and creational ethic here. We stagger workdays for human function. And what? When do the animals get a break? When does the earth get a break? Oh, that one day a year? Earth day? This is embedded once a week. It's in the text. This is ancient. Thank you. So good. And the Jewish idea extended even to the land. Every seven years, the ground was not to be tilled so that it could recover. And all of that fallow land, everything that grew up there, was for anybody. Anybody could come. So the poor, who didn't have anything, they could come. Those are the people who are going, I can't take a break. There's a discussion. What about, this is what we had this morning at Table Peninsula. What about single moms or single parents? They got three kids. How are they supposed to get everything done and provide for their families? What about immigrants who have nothing when they come here? How are they even to make a life here? You've got to start out. Every hour counts. Every day counts. Look, I get it. If you're on your own, that is the reality. That is why this is a social thing. Where God speaks to a people. When it's a people who are resting, if you are resting with people, you will notice those with deep anxieties and who have real or imagined lack of margin. And guess what? You can help them. Because this is about your neighbor and not just about you. Wouldn't that be great? This is the work I see in Jesus where he, I've said over and over, you're probably so sick of me hearing it, but you knew people, this is really good. When people, the disciples are like, we've left everything to come and follow you. And Jesus says, yes, you've given up mother and father and sister and brother and fields and farms. I tell you the truth. You've come and follow me. I tell you the truth. Amen, amen. You will gain a hundred mothers and sisters and brothers and fields and farms in this life, he says. That's the payoff. Because he rescues the people. Not just individuals. Oh, it's, uh, I really wanted to get to practical things. Can I just suggest there's, there's two parts to attend to. One is the body. One is actually if you're not taking a day off, like think about why you're not. And if you honestly, and you really do need help. Can you ask for it? That would be a good start. If you don't know what to ask, come chat with me about it. And I'll connect you with someone who can help. Do my best anyway. But if when you're thinking about it, you know, 
you, you could take some steps to have some rest. Maybe instead of Netflix binging for 14 hours, maybe you actually could try to pray and engage with God through the scriptures or, or sing if you need to be with other people to put a different focus on the day. You could do that. You could make commitments not to, to drive around, for example, or, or make other people work on your day off. Or make commitments not to spend money and engage in that work as a consumer on that Sabbath. You could make all kinds of these decisions. But it comes down to the very core to celebrate the fact that you are useful beyond what you do. Because God loves you and is calling you to be with him where there is peace. And at least in my life, that's the only place I can go to quiet the loops I have in my mind, the worries that I have, the insatiable cravings that I have can only be resolved in Jesus. And that is why it's more than just your body, but it does include it. It's more about than just your habits, though it includes it. In all of the commotion, in the meantime, between the beginning and the end, is rest in Christ. That is where you can calm down and becomes the basis from which work comes. And that is why he says in Matthew chapter 11, all things have been committed to me by my Father, he says. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And in my experience, Jesus is very willing to reveal this God to people. Welcome in, says Jesus. Come to me, he says. All you who are weary and burdened with that deep fatigue, and I will give you rest. Take my burden, take it upon you, and learn from me, he says. For I am gentle, and I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, your whole self, deep in the marrow. For my burden, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is coming from the lips of Jesus. Might I add, he's not just gentle and humble, he's also kind, and he's gracious, and he's generous. And he's asking you, come and just rest, just pause. And let your work and utility come out of that place, rather than the spinning around and the to-do list. It's the beginning of Lent, Advent, thank you, because I was just about to say not Christmas and act all superior, but I, okay, so it's the, it's the beginning of Advent, 
a period of waiting. And it's this one time where the calendar year, the church calendar and the social calendar are weirdly opposite because everything else is telling you Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And it's going to push you towards commotion if you haven't already felt that on Black Friday. It's going to push you to consume, reduce you to that, a consumer. This is so much more. Can we celebrate in the waiting, in the hoping, and the coming of Christ who has come and will come again? And as part of that, we light uh, Advent, not Lent candle, every week. We bless you, God, for your story. That our value extends and precedes our usefulness. That you love us as we are. You engage with us even in our frailty and our weakness and our worry. And you meet us there in Jesus Christ. Would you be our refuge? Would you be our peace? We absolutely need you. Keep us from spinning out. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Table Radio, an extension of the life of the Table Church community in Victoria, B.C. Our mission together is to love God, love each other, and to love and bless our neighbors so that we may see Christ revealed in common life. Music for this episode provided by The Table Community. To learn more, please go to tablechurch.ca. breaking, breaking.